guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing wonderful and refreshed and happy and hot and all of those things that happen when you live down south and it's approaching summer every day. <laughs> I know. Every day, like, I'll be outside at night and I'm like, man, I just... I just love it. And then during the day, I'm just, you know, sweating bullets in the car, just wanting to scream yeah. <laughs> for the AC to come down. The kids are complaining. I'm like, it's working. It's working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's delightful. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't really hit me that it, it gets so hot here until it starts getting to the point where you can't get in your car without just like feeling like you just got into an actual oven. And we're kind yeah. of hitting that point now where it's like every time I open my car door, I just get a wave of hot air that hits me in the face. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is this is what it's all about. <laughs> I know when it's coming because I hear the frogs at night, like the really loud frogs that you don't see, but you hear them. And so when those guys are out, I'm like, it's over. All of yeah. our cool air, <laughs> all of my good times are totally done. <laughs> but yeah, it's still beautiful outside, though. So I'll take that. We'll do that. It is. It is. Yeah, it is. And I had a great little week off. I did get to go outside some and enjoy the outdoor heat and world and the beautiful weather. So yeah, yeah, I hope you did too. Hope you had a nice week off and are happy as I am to be back. I am. It was so nice on social media. I posted the other day on Tuesday that we didn't have an episode or somebody did and I reposted it. And we had so many nice comments about people saying, oh, I woke up and I miss seeing you guys on there. And it was it was nice. I felt very loved or at least yeah. liked that people the people have a thing on Tuesdays that involves us like when they're doing something that they don't want to do and they're like fine I'll listen to these broads yeah. but we weren't there for them <laughs> this week. Everybody so that loves was nice. to be appreciated. Yeah, that's yeah, our especially especially you and I. <laughs> there you go. It was really sweet though. Yeah, perfect. All right, so the story that we have for you guys this week touches on a topic that really just brings out the fire in me because it kind of goes hand in hand with another topic that I really, it just kind of, just one of those, it's one of those things. Everybody has their thing, right? So we've talked before about how I get really heated when it comes to the elderly being taken advantage of in any way. So the episode this week is about the financial exploitation of a vulnerable person. And that kind of goes along with some of the things that really like I said, light a fire in me. So most commonly, the victims of this type of crime are elderly adults, but not always. Um, There are a number of situations where adults of any age are really in a position to be exploited or taken advantage of. And this, when I first started looking into this case and learning more about it, it's kind of reminded me a little bit, not quite a parallel exactly, but the new movie that's out on Netflix, a lot of people have probably seen it. I have seen a lot of people buzzing about it on social media, or they were a few weeks ago, um, the movie I Care A Lot. So Melissa, I think you actually are the one who told me that I should watch this movie, that it would be right up my alley. And I did. And it was just the craziest movie. So that movie just... Oh my gosh, yes. I can't stop thinking about that movie when I think about this case. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is a really a thing that happens to yeah. people. What did you think about that movie, Melissa? That movie was infuriating mostly because, well, first of all, as soon as you've seen Rosamund Pike in a movie, you have to know she's going to, like, be ballistic. She was in Gone Girl, and she's, like, the main character in that. So I knew, like, oh, she does not ever do, like, a normal character. And that story was so infuriating and I don't know. It was it was like, this can't be real. Like, I know it's not real. It wasn't based on a true story or anything like that. But there are like facets of it that could and probably do happen, which are right. terrifying. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's absolutely terrible. So if you haven't seen that movie yet, like I said, it's called I Care A Lot. You can find it on Netflix. Um, It's really, really good. You should definitely check it out. But if you haven't seen it, the plot is about this woman who becomes rich off of scamming the legal system and the elderly. And so the antagonist in the movie, whose name is Marla Grayson, convinces the court to grant her guardianship over an older woman by alleging that she could not take care of herself. And spoiler alert, the older woman was perfectly fine. She could absolutely take care of herself. So Marla had actually done this before and made this, you know, made a lot of money off of it, really a living. And once she had legal guardianship, she would put this elderly person in an assisted living facility and then have them sedated and isolated from their families. And then she would leech away their money and assets really right out from under their noses by doing things like selling off their homes and their belongings and then just pocketing the money for herself. So that is quite a scam. Um, And it's it's hard to imagine that something like that would happen outside of a made for TV movie. But as I said, this kind of thing does happen in real life. And it turns out it happens a lot more often than personally I would like to believe. Um, Unfortunately, it is a very common form of abuse against older adults, but yet it has been studied the least. And it's Mm. thought that that's because other forms of elder abuse, such as physical, sexual, emotional abuse and neglect are all you know, they are considered more important topics that are more highly studied and tracked and financial exploitation is something that is not really, there's not a lot known about it. And there haven't been a lot of studies done on who exactly is doing this and who it's happening to. So there are numerous creative ways that people have managed to con and scam a vulnerable adult. And in the vast majority of cases, the victim is being taken advantage of by their own adult child or grandchild, which is so sad and terrible that- you would have to think about a family member potentially doing something like this to you. People come up with all kinds of unique methods of pulling off this type of exploitation, and it's always based on their specific circumstances and the situation. Financial exploitation is defined by the United States Department of Justice as the illegal or improper use, control over, or withholding the property, income, resources, or trust funds of the elderly person or the vulnerable adult by any person or entity for any person or entity's profit or advantage other than that of the elder or vulnerable person. So basically, you can't use somebody else's benefits for yourself. That's basically all it's saying. So this is a crime and you can be prosecuted for it if you're caught and if the evidence does point towards you committing this type of financial exploitation. In the majority of these cases, the situation doesn't escalate to cold-blooded murder. Rather, it's a simple case of a family member taking advantage of someone close to them for financial gain. But in today's episode, one victim of financial exploitation sadly also became the victim of murder. Mary Lynn Carlson had lived a pretty normal life by the time she reached her 50s. She was born on December 3, 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. Her parents were David and Marie, and she lived in Belvedere, Illinois, all throughout her childhood and most of her adult life until 1988. At that time, she moved to Arizona to care for her aging mother. She attended Belvedere High School and later went on to college in Iowa, followed by Rockford Business School in Illinois. She once worked as a beautician, I guess maybe a cosmetologist, and in 1969, she married a man by the name of Dale Carlson. Together, the couple had one child, David John Carlson, in November of 1970. At some point, Mary Lynn and Dale got a divorce. We're unsure of the exact date there, and there's really no information found on what kind of family they were or how David John grew up, but nothing really suggested that this was, you know, a dysfunctional family per se. When Mary Lynn's son David was in his early 20s, he met a woman named Doris. 
the couple got married a month before David turned 23. Doris was older than David. She was actually 31 when they got married, which it's hard to hear the words that she was older and right. the next yeah. thing be 31. <laughs> she was older oh. than him, not older in general. I know. <laughs> something about it was, it was just tough to read. So she was actually married before. She had been married to a guy named Brian, and they had three kids together. They had two boys and one girl. During her divorce from Brian, the couple worked out joint custody agreement. Doris and Brian had been divorced for about seven years before Doris married David. By the time she met David, she didn't have custody of her three minor children at all, and she was fighting Brian for it. It's unclear what kind of relationship David had with his mom, Mary Lynn, prior to his marriage to Doris, but at some point after Mary Lynn moved from Illinois to Arizona to take care of her mother, David and Doris followed and moved there too. We can assume to be closer to Mary Lynn. By 1996, though, Mary Lynn was having some health problems of her own. She had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and was really struggling. Thankfully, though, Mary Lynn had income from a trust fund that was valued at several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, many sources said it was worth about $230,000, and she received $850 a month from that. She also received two annuities, one that was for $800 a month and the other one she could draw on the principal from. These two annuities were valued at around $140,000 combined. So it's not a ton of money. It's money for her to live off of, but it's not, you know, an exorbitant amount of money. It's about $370,000 total back in 1996, which is equivalent to about $625,000 today, which... That's a pretty good inflation there, Mandy. Yeah, yes, it is. I know. I was actually surprised because 1996 feels like it was not that long ago until you start thinking about how long ago it really was. But that seems crazy, though, that kind of inflation from 96 to now. That's just that kind of blew my mind when I looked that up. Yeah. So this wasn't enough money for Mary Lynn to live in luxury, but it was enough for her to survive on while she was struggling with MS. For whatever reason, David and Doris, who were both healthy and able-bodied adults, became financially dependent on Mary Lynn. They even shared a house with her. Years earlier, when David and Doris first moved to Arizona, Mary Lynn actually withdrew $70,000 from that second annuity to buy a house that was big enough for the three of them to live in Peoria. This could have been a really good thing for Mary Lynn, who was in need of some extra help after her diagnosis, if it wasn't for this financial burden that David and Doris had put on her, and the fact that Doris wasn't a very nice or patient person when it came to interacting with Mary Lynn on a daily basis. She was not accommodating to her MS diagnosis at all, and she actually accused her own mother-in-law, who is giving her a place to live and, you know, taking care of her financially, of pretending to have MS. Oh my gosh. Oh, the nerve. And she would yell at her, curse at her, and she would even make comments to the effect that Mary Lynn should die or be killed so that she and David could get her money. Oh my goodness, monster. I just don't even get it. And from like right from all of it, from having to move in with her and to be financially supported by her, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I understand everybody has different circumstances and people fall in hard times and they do sure. rely on their families for help to get out of that situation. But it didn't sound like David and Doris were really doing that necessarily. It kind of right. sounded like they were just skating by, living for free in this house and not really having to work. Mary Lynn was getting, you know, monthly payments off of these annuities and off of this trust that she was living on. So it's like they, Doris and David, kind of got complacent and just 
lived that way, which I just, I do take issue with, especially when it's, you know, it's David's own mother and she clearly is having a, she's in a struggling time at this point in her life. And it's just wrong, you know, to expect that she's going to foot the bill and take care of them. So right from this point, I already am starting to see, you know, these problems where I can see how things would get out of hand pretty quickly in a situation like this. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to get into many more details of what happens next in this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. This month is my 20-year high school reunion, which is really wild because wasn't it just 1990, 20 years ago? Either way, I've matured and so is my skin. I can't use the same stuff on my face that I used back when I was bopping NSYNC in my high school bathroom. While I'm still listening to NSYNC, I've now upgraded my skincare routine to include the incredible customized prescription formula from Agency. To get started, just head over to withagency.com moms and upload your photo. From there, Agency will match you with a licensed dermatology provider who will create a custom formula based on your photos and what you'd like to see improvements with. Things like fine lines or dark spots, and they will send your product right to your door. After I had uploaded my photo and mentioned my skin concerns, like the dark circles under my eyes and the fine lines I'm seeing and not loving, a dermatology provider messaged me and explained the custom formula she chose for me and what it will do to help treat those signs of aging. If I could go back in time and tell 17-year-old Melissa to just put on more sunscreen, I would. But since I can't, and since she wouldn't have listened anyhow, having access to agency is the next best thing. I'm already noticing changes in my skin after just a few weeks, but remember, results may vary. Do what I did and try out Agency, the personalized anti-aging skincare that evolves with you. Go to withagency.com slash moms for a free 30-day trial. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and handling. That's withagency.com slash moms to unlock your free 30-day trial. See withagency.com for all the details. Subject to consultation. Have you heard of brain breaks? We swear by them in my house for our kids. There's only so much schoolwork kids can do before their brains literally need a break. Maybe they watch a quick YouTube video or play outside, but either way, they come back recharged and ready to focus. As adults, we need brain breaks too. And for me, the perfect brain break is a quick round of Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the mobile puzzle game that always gives you a good challenge while still being a lot of fun. What I really love about Best Fiends is that it's always updating. Between new themes and new levels, it's always fresh and exciting. I also love that I'm not up against a timer on levels, so I can just enjoy playing it without this imaginary clock going on in the background. Best of all, you'll never be bored because Best Fiends has literally thousands of puzzles to solve. One of my favorite things about Best Fiends is that I have the option to move my fiends around and I have my favorites, of course, like Gordon the Lobster who destroys everything on the same horizontal line as him. Thanks to Gordon and my other fiends, I just made it to level 1500 and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Download the five-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends, free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And now back to the episode. In July of 1996, Mary Lynn Carlson was in need of a a lot of care that her son, David, and her daughter-in-law, Doris, couldn't or didn't really want to provide for her. So she was actually moved to a residential care facility. That actually made things a lot more complicated, though, for David and Doris, because when Mary Lynn was moved to this facility, her trust that she was living on stopped paying the bills at the house where David and Doris were, of course, still living and had been living with Mary Lynn um, because this was the house that Mary Lynn bought. So the bills were still coming to the house, but the trust just wasn't paying for them anymore. 
When Marilyn was moved to the facility, her trust fund and annuity checks also started going to her there, and they no longer got mailed to the house in Peoria, which now left David and Doris completely flat broke. And according to them, with no way of getting any money, I don't know why they didn't start applying for jobs at this point, but this is what they said. They said they didn't have any money. They had no way of paying any of these bills or taking care of themselves without Marilyn's assistance. So the solution that Doris and David came up with was to take out loans on the house. And they actually took out about $90,000 in total. And you would think $90,000, that sounds like a pretty nice chunk of change. um, Especially then. Yeah, because now I did the inflation calculator on that. That would be equal to $150,000. So that should have lasted them a decent amount of time, bought them some time to keep paying the bills while they kind of sorted out what their next move was going to be. But they actually blew through all of that money in three months' time. And if you thought they used any of it to catch up the bills or pay the mortgage on the house, you would be wrong. Everything was past due. Nothing was getting paid. So... I have no idea what they spent that kind of money on in three months, but people can make their own assumptions. So yeah. at some point, Doris and David decided, hey, we should get roommates and that will kind of relieve some of this tension that we have financially around this house. So they invited 20-year-old John Daniel McCreekin and 17-year-old Scott Christopher Smith. So John was an unemployed man. Um, he was sadly addicted to drugs at the time that he moved into this house. And the 17-year-old, Scott, he did have a job um, at a fast food restaurant. It's unclear exactly when these two men moved in, but I did see that one source said that when Marilyn was moved to the facility, it was actually because she had told her probate officer that she was scared of the people that her son and daughter-in-law had brought into the home. And so then her probate officer said, well, I don't think this is a great place for you. Let's see where we can move you. It's a little unclear how she exactly got to the facility, whose yeah. idea that was, but that was what one source said is this how that came woman. about. Yeah, it's terrible. And if that's really the case, like, I just get the sense that she felt like she was being forced out of her home. You know, she's got this young son and daughter-in-law there. You know, she's the daughter-in-law, of course, is in her early 30s, but the son is still in his early 20s. And now they're bringing in these other younger, you know, younger people. And she's like, wait a minute, this is actually my house. I don't like this. And I just feel really terrible for her that moving to a facility at this point must have felt like the only option that she had because she wasn't getting the help that she needed at home. And she probably was feeling like, I don't know what else to do, you know, at this point. So Mary Lynn had been in the facility for about two months when Doris and David really started becoming desperate for money. As I said, they weren't receiving her checks anymore and they blew through, you know, they were blowing through rather um, all this money that they had taken out as a loan. So in late September, early October, Doris asked one of the roommates, John, if he knew anybody that would be willing to be hired as a hitman and she wanted to have Mary Lynn killed. She offered $20,000, which I don't know where she was planning on getting other than yeah. after this was, you know, after this murder was complete. I assume she was thinking that she was going to collect it from Marilyn's trust and the annuities after she was killed. And so John said, hey, sure, I'll do it for $20,000. And then he talked to the roommate, Scott, and as we said, who was 17, and he said that he would help. So these two young men agreed to split the $20,000 and to pull off this murder of Mary Lynn. As preparation, Doris gave them money to buy gloves to wear in the murder. They didn't need to worry about buying a murder weapon because John and Scott had butterfly knives that they said they were going to use. Days after they bought these gloves, Doris drove the two men to the care facility where Mary Lynn was living. 
she showed them where her apartment was there. And I got the impression that this was the type of care facility where each of the residents there kind of has their own little small apartment. And it's more of like an independent assisted living place. There's a place like that that my grandmother's sister lived in for a while where it was like not like a facility where you have to go down and like, you know, meet up at the lunch hall or anything, but she actually had her own like apartment and then somebody would just check on her or if she needed help, you know, she was right there at the facility. So I got the impression it was kind of like that and more like a little bit more independent. Right. So Doris wanted these men to take note of this facility, what the layout was like, you know, look for the different entrances and exits and figure out their best plan. So she drove them there to drive them around and kind of just observe things for the first time. On October 23rd, Doris and David went to visit Mary Lynn. On that day, they asked her to sign annuity documents in order to get money to pay this mortgage. They told her, we're in danger of losing this house if, you know, we can't pay it, so you need to sign these documents. Mary Lynn was hesitant. She said she really wanted to speak to her financial advisor before she signed on any documents. This set Doris off. She got super angry and she's just over everything with Mary Lynn and, you know, clearly has her mind made up about what she wants to do. So the next day, Doris tells her roommate, John, that Mary Lynn had to be killed, quote unquote, really soon. John talked to Scott and they made a plan to carry out the murder that very night. When Scott returned home from work, he and John dressed themselves in all black and gathered up their gloves and knives. Doris provided a key to Mary Lynn's apartment at the facility and offered to even give them a ride there. The three of them waited until the middle of the night to make their move. Shortly after 1 a.m. on October 25th, Doris drove them into a grocery store parking lot near the facility. She told them that she would wait for them there. The men left and made their way into the facility and into Mary Lynn's apartment. Scott went to the living room to try and stage this as a robbery. He disconnected the TV and moved some items around from the top of the TV. John, though, went into the bedroom where Mary Lynn was asleep. He was the one who was supposed to commit the murder. At first, he hesitated to follow through, but then he allegedly mustered up the courage to stab Mary Lynn eight to ten times while she was asleep. He intentionally tried to stab her in areas he believed would cause her death. After the stabbing, the two men fled back to the grocery store where Doris was waiting. And that's when they got in the car and they drove back to their house. It wasn't long before the brutal attack was discovered, only a few hours. Around 5 o'clock, a nursing assistant at the facility was making her rounds and checking up on Mary Lynn as scheduled. When the staff member unlocked Mary Lynn's door, she heard Mary Lynn call out for help from her bedroom. The nursing assistant went in and found her bloodied and badly injured. Marilyn told the nurse assistant that she fought off her attackers as hard as she could, and she actually had several defensive wounds to show for it. Marilyn was rushed to the local hospital where doctors determined that she needed several emergency operations over a period of time. At one point, her chest cavity was actually left open for several weeks while doctors worked to save her life, which in itself is very dangerous. The longer you have somebody opened up like that, I mean, you're risking a lot of chance of infection and everything, but they were really oh my working gosh. hard, yes, to give her a chance. So while Marilyn was in the hospital, investigators were working to figure out who had done this to her. About a month later, on November 21st, Doris, David, John, and Scott were all four arrested in connection with the attack. They were all charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, first-degree burglary, and aggravated assault. 
Tragically, after fighting for her life for nearly five months, Mary Lynn was unfortunately not able to recover. And she passed away on April 21st, 1997, at the age of 54 years old. After she died, all four of the suspects were then charged with murder, in addition to all of the other charges. Most of the interesting trial information came from Doris's trial, which began on July 21st, 1999. Prosecutors allege that Doris hired the men to kill her mother-in-law so that she and her husband David could benefit from the money that he would inherit after she passed away. David was the beneficiary on all of Marilyn's financial accounts and all of her interests. Prosecutors painted David and Doris as these evil, greedy, and entitled people who, quote, spent money like water going through Niagara Falls, end quote, all while ignoring their bills. The defense alleged that Doris had suffered brain damage at birth, but this wasn't really considered in the trial. They tried to say anyway that this brain damage would have prevented her from coming up with the scheme to have Mary Lynn murdered, but that it could cause her to act impulsively and irresponsibly. I'm sorry, that plan wasn't so like, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't so like complex and, you know, that it would be like, oh my gosh, a really mastermind had to have come up with this. Right. Like it wasn't really that, like, it wasn't that. She gave him gloves and you know? drove him there. There wasn't, it wasn't a lot of planning that went into this. Right. And they're like, oh, we don't even need a murder weapon. Great. We can save a few dollars there. Like she wasn't, it wasn't like some stellar, you know, amazing genius plan that they had that they were right. carrying out. So the prosecutors then, of course, came back and said that. Doris was just fine mentally. And they said that, you know, hey, she was able to manage the entire household and all of its financial affairs. So clearly she wasn't as incompetent as her own defense was making her out to be. Doris's defense actually did not call any witnesses and her attorney even had some questionable ethics. And there were numerous rumors that were swirling regarding a prior inappropriate relationship with one of her clients. So this attorney's name was Carmen Fisher, and she had previously worked with a high-profile client and allegedly had a romantic and or possibly sexual relationship with this client. And there was a lot of media publicity about it, including a video clip of Carmen kissing this client that was shown in the media and on TV. So people in the community and people in the court, they already had opinions about this lawyer that was representing Doris. And we're going to get into a lot more about that and other details of this case after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. It's warming up here, which means it's time to change out of my winter cardigans for my spring cardigans. And while I'm there, I need to take inventory of my shoes. I don't know about you, but some of the shoes I loved last year just are not cutting it this year. But one pair of shoes that I'll always hold on to is my Rothy's. Two years later, and Rothy's are still my favorite shoes I've ever owned. And that's because Rothy's are washable, durable, and flexible. They're actually made with their signature thread that's made from repurposed plastic water bottles, which makes minimal impact on the planet and makes maximum comfort for you and your feet. But I know what you're thinking. How could shoes that are so comfortable and durable be cute? We can only assume Rothy's has a magic wand because they did just that. Rothy's has a range of styles and they come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. Every time I browse their site, which is quite often, I find new shoes that I have to have. I wear my steel gray Rothy's tennis shoes with everything, truly. Skirts, jeans, shorts, skorts, you name it, and I'll have my Rothy's on. And the best part is, when they're a little worn down from all the wearing I do, I simply throw them in the washer and they come out just as good as new. So I know what you're thinking, what's the catch here? 
There is no catch. That's because Rothy's comes with free shipping and free returns on eligible products, so there's no reason not to give them a try now. Check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash moms. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash moms. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash moms today. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want to help you become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp over the past year, and I can't tell you what a relief it is just to get out all my thoughts to a professional without ever having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so just having someone I can talk through with different scenarios or those immediate big problems that pop up in life has really been invaluable, especially this last year. Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential, and best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash moms. Want to get away? Yeah, I do too. But since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey. And you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's Journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm deep in the fifth chapter with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's Journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little about the trials and the arrest of the people involved in Mary Lynn's murder. And when it came to Doris's case, the defense really did not present a very good case in Doris's favor. And on July 27, 1999, she was found guilty of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and first-degree burglary. During her sentencing hearing, Doris's defense team tried to spare her from the death penalty by telling the judge that the motive behind the murder wasn't greed. It was a desperate plan to regain custody of her children. Well, didn't she have $90,000 she could have been working on that with? You know what I mean? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand how that, how is that a, like, a plus one for her? How is that a good (laughs) thing? You know, I just, I don't know where they were going with that. 
Yeah. I mean, they tried, but it is just kind of infuriating when you know that they did go through all this money. So it wasn't really – they could have used this money before. This is I, – I can't. I, I can't. So they said that Doris thought if her husband David inherited his mother's money, then she would be able to use the money to fight her ex-husband in court for custody of her kids. Luckily, this effort was not effective. Uh, the judge said, quote, the victim was mutilated. The crime was senseless. The victim was helpless. Doris goes to death row, which is exactly where she belongs. This kind of vicious murder for personal gain deserves no less. Doris was sentenced to death on March 31st, 2000. She was actually only the fourth woman in the state of Arizona to be sentenced to death. At the time she was sentenced, there was just one other woman on death row in the state. Her name was Deborah Ann Mike, and she was convicted of killing her son, but was later exonerated in 2015. The first two executions ever in Arizona were of women. First in 1865, Dolores Moore was hanged for murder, and next in 1930, a woman by the name of Eva Dugan was hanged for murder. However, this is horrific, the rope actually beheaded Eva, and after that, the state decided to use the gas chamber for executions. Wow. Yeah, that's just a lot to take in. As of today, there are 115 people on death row in Arizona, with only three of them being women. No one's actually been executed in Arizona since the botched execution of Joseph Wood in 2014, which is a terrible story uh, that deals with lethal injection not working the way it should have. It took several doses and over two hours for him to die. A federal judge issued a stay of executions at that time in Arizona. Wow. So as for David, John, and Scott, David only was convicted of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, but he was acquitted of all the other charges. He was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. Scott, who, as I said, was the underage perpetrator, uh, pled guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for testifying against Doris in her trial. He ended up being sentenced to 10 years in prison. So John, who was the man who actually carried out the stabbing, was convicted of the same charges as Doris, and he also testified against her in her trial, although he did not receive any benefit for doing so. Members of the jury actually wrote letters to the judge asking for leniency in his case, which I thought was also interesting because he is the one who actually right. went and stabbed somebody. So it was, it's interesting to me that the jury was writing to the judge asking for leniency in this case. Yeah. Uh, but John was sentenced to life in prison for murder, and he was given a life sentence for conspiracy to commit murder and 10 years for the burglary. So due to the fact that Doris received the death penalty, her sentence was automatically appealed. The Supreme Court of Arizona actually affirmed her conviction in 2002, and they also reduced her sentence to life in prison without parole, but she would no longer be on death row. They said that their reasoning for this was because they didn't feel that the murder was, quote, heinous or depraved in the constitutional sense. And they said that Doris didn't know that these hitmen she hired would leave the victim still alive and fighting for her life. And she never planned for Mary Lynn to suffer for months before she died of her injuries. So they were saying that that aspect of it was shouldn't be considered um, when considering the death penalty, which I, I don't know if I agree with that, because whether you meant for that to happen or not, like you these are things that can happen when you hurt exactly from somebody like that, like you. You, you shouldn't send, be doing this. Exactly. Right. You send somebody in there to kill somebody and an array of things can happen. 
the best case for her was that she died. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there was never right. going to be a, a solution that we would all be like, you know what? That was, she did the right thing. She was never going to do anything like that. So whether they, the person suffered or not, that I don't get that. I don't right. get that exactly. at all. Right. So the court also felt that because the actual murderer, who was John, uh, since he didn't get the death penalty, they said that it wasn't fair that Doris did either. That makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. In Doris's appeal, she brought up that she did not receive a fair trial due to the publicity surrounding her attorney. Remember, we mentioned her attorney, Carmen, had this history of inappropriate relationships with past clients. But the Supreme Court of Arizona disagreed with that and said, you know, regardless of what the media is saying about your attorney, about Carmen, the jury still saw the facts in the case. And the facts were that Doris was desperate for money. She offered John $20,000 to kill Mary Lynn. She provided the money to buy the gloves and she drove the men to Mary Lynn's apartment and gave them a key to get in. So basically her lawyer's reputation didn't do anything to change right. these facts. These were the facts and that was that. It didn't matter how anyone felt about Carmen. So where are they now? Well, Doris is in prison at ASPC Perryville in Goodyear, Arizona, and she really has not been a model inmate. She's been in trouble several times and has several infractions for things like disobeying orders, possessing a manufactured weapon, threatening, and more. David is at ASP Red Rock Correctional Center in Eloy, Arizona, and he only has one infraction for disobeying orders way back in 1999, but nothing else since then. John McCreekin, who was the murderer, is at ASPC Yuma in Yuma, Arizona, and he's also been kind of a troublemaker. He's had the same issues that Doris has had since she's been behind bars. And Scott, who was the youngest, was released in November of 2006. And he was also always in trouble in prison right up until his release. He was always caught disobeying orders. He got caught for giving or receiving a tattoo. He possessed contraband and he was always getting in trouble for disorderly conduct and more. But he is now out of prison. So technically, that's it for this story. But we also do have a little tea on Doris's defense attorney, Carmen Fisher. Carmen began practicing criminal law in Phoenix in the 1980s. She worked on almost 80 felony cases, with eight of them being capital trials. In 1999, it came out that she was having an affair with a court-appointed client named Michael Sanders, who was being tried for a double homicide. Carmen was caught hugging and kissing Michael while she went to visit him in jail. Media rumors swirled that Carmen dressed a specific way when she went to these jail visits to make certain physical contact easier to get away with. I have to be honest, the first time I read that, wasn't sure what they meant. Then I did, and then I got upset. So after yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure we worded that as um, as tactfully as possible, but yeah. <laughs> the first time I'm like, huh? And then I was like, oh, no, no, no. So after video of the two of them kissing was playing on TV, Carmen was informed that she could no longer represent Michael as a court-appointed attorney, but he was welcome to pay her for her services privately. It ultimately did not matter in the end. Michael was found guilty and given two life sentences. At the time that this happened, though, there were no laws stating that attorneys could not have a physical relationship with their clients. Carmen later represented another man named Angel Lopez Garcia in a federal weapons case. Angel was allegedly leading the New Mexican Mafia, which was a, quote, much-feared prison-based Latino gang infamous for running drugs, violence, and for following a code of blood in, blood out, which, of course, means if you get in the gang, the only way you're getting out is if you die. Once again, this client of Carmen's was found guilty and given nine years in prison. But in July of 2011, Carmen actually 
married him while he was in prison. Oh my gosh. I just have such a hard time wrapping my head around this idea that a criminal defense attorney would marry somebody who was convicted of a felony like while they were in prison. It's just, it just blows my mind. It well, really just does. Because kiss your entire life and career goodbye at that point. Like what are you doing? Right. Well, I mean, I feel like these kind of things do happen, though, but it, it does seem like a pattern with the two. If it was a one off, I'd be like, OK, well, you know, I, I don't really get it, but it maybe I don't know. There's like a basketball right. player who just <laughs> fell in love and married the lady that left the WNBA. She's awesome. Her her husband, granted, he is he's innocent and uh, he was wrongly convicted and she worked to get him out. So I can see how it could happen. And there are cases that it happens and it makes a lot of sense and all that but hers just seemed like a very different situation where I mean like, that's who she's looking for and in a dangerous prison gang yeah two totally <laughs> different things there's two paths to take there and right. yeah um but that story is really interesting I want to look into that one uh to do as a story sometime so back to Carmen uh her husband is later transferred to another prison to serve his time on other crimes including money laundering and promoting prison contraband so obviously, it doesn't look too hot that this criminal attorney was now married to a member of the New Mexican Mafia. She ended up being removed as panel attorney for the Criminal Justice Act, and she could no longer be appointed to represent clients in federal court as a state-appointed attorney. She had been a CGA attorney for numerous years and had a really good reputation up until this point. She was seen as being competent, professional, and highly regarded. However, police worried that Karma would somehow be able to abuse her mail or visitation privileges as a spouse and the attorney for Angel. They worried that this would help them further illegal activity. This turned out to be a pretty spot-on concern. In 2013, Carmen was actually arrested. She was charged with 47 counts of fraud, money laundering, using a wire for a drug or organized crime offense, and more. She pleaded guilty to money laundering and assisting a criminal gang. She actually admitted to helping Angel by giving relevant information to his criminal organization and assisting with the movement of money and other things of value to inmates in state and federal prisons. Carmen, Carmen, what are you doing? Yikes, yikes, yikes. Carmen was sentenced to three years in prison and was released on parole in 2017. The State Bar of Arizona obviously has revoked her license to practice law. Oh, man. Yeah, I Googled her in the middle of this because I was like, I got to read more about this. <laughs> just that is just bananas. I can see how Doris was like, hey, can we, you know, can this help me? Right. Because this is so off the wall. Right. And I, but I can also see how the judge is like, no, because the facts exactly. of your case are still the same, like regardless of what is going on with your attorney and no one knows what's going on with your attorney. <laughs> no, <laughs> but A for effort. I, I understand how they would do that. But this story is so, I don't know, it's crazy to me that her husband doesn't get the same charges as her, like that she was the mastermind. You would think for him to allow this to happen, you know what I mean, allow it or, you know, yeah, he knows it's going on. Right. He, either he would put a stop to it or he would be more heavily involved. Does that make sense? Where it's kind of like he's, he knows about it. He doesn't do anything to stop it. But it doesn't seem like he was the one pushing it. I could be wrong. But I know. it's a I weird don't spot get it. for him. I really don't. Yeah, I, I really don't get it. And like you were saying about the um, the exploitation of adults with, you know, the financial exploitation and stuff like this, it's it's so sad. And I feel terrible for Mary Lynn who thinks, you know, maybe she's getting away from this situation and she kind of has some room to heal and, you know, take care of herself. And then they still have taken her money. They've taken over her house and still this happens. So sad. 
It's really, really sad and just really terrible. So, okay, Melissa, are we ready to move on to our last thing before we go for the week? Yes, ma'am. All right. So we're going to do another crazy, (laughs) funny, weird. I don't even know what we're doing here anymore with these. But do you ever wonder what goes on inside my brain that you're just like, how did you how did you get there? Because I do. I'm always like, where did this come from, Melissa? Yeah. So, Melissa, (laughs) tell us what we're doing this week. (laughs) So a big game in our house is the ABC game. Like if you're traveling, doing anything, you start with a letter of the alphabet. So you do foods, A for apple, the next person B for banana, that sort of thing. So we're going to do that today. But since mm, sometimes we have a hard time with words, I'm going to say me. I have a hard time with words. And and you're better either at Googling or writing. Something is happening really well for you. You you make more sense (laughs) with words. I can't even make sense saying this. So we're going to play this game, but we're going to play it with verbs. So just the ABC game back and forth with verbs. Verbs are action words. And we are going to uh, do that. Mandy, would you like to be A or B? We can – Or do you want to start You can off start with A. Okay. You can start with A. A. Apologizing. Yeah, wow, that's a verb, okay. right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense for me. Is. Go ahead. Okay. Baking. Carpooling. Driving. Engineering. How did you not say eating? How am I only – how are we only doing words that I end in I-N-G? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, F. Okay. Finding. That's good. Yeah. G. Golfing. Okay. Um, H. Helping. Nice. I. Oh, gosh. Iglooing is not a thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my god why is my brain so dumb the next thing I came up with icicling um come on Melissa icicling I, <laughs> I, uh, ice fishing what is wrong with me <laughs> there you go okay J jumping kissing lying oh my gosh I can't even say that one on television um M M <laughs> Oh my. Um, marrying. Why didn't we oh, just say ing okay. words? We've not even steered from this one I'm second. I'm happy that you didn't say murdering. <laughs> oh, there were two other ones that were terrible. I didn't even hit murdering, and I had two terrible ones. Oh okay. gosh. Um, N. Let's see. Uh, this one's hard. Mm, I don't know. I'm stumped here. Hold on. Let's see. This is not as hard. This should not be this difficult. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have an N one? I have no nursing. Idea. Oh, nursing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nurturing. That's a good one. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, um, opening. Okay. P, um, prying. Q, quilting. Why am I oh, so excited? Wow. Why am I exciting you? about qu- all of mine are old people activities? Go ahead. Okay. R, um, reading. Nerd. Okay. S. Um, skydiving. Oh. Okay. T. Let's do oh, no. thinking. You. Okay. Umbrellaing isn't a word. <laughs> Umbroing. When's the last time you thought about umbros? Okay. Why is that in my head? Um, underwear modeling. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. V. Um, uh, volumizing oh nice i like that 
W. Um, womanizing. Oh, that was terrible. Winning. Winning by not womanizing. Winning. Okay. And oh gosh, I have X. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could do the Melissa way. Xylophoning. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. What? I would have gone with X-raying, but X. xylophoning. Oh, X-raying. Yeah. Even <laughs> yeah, Melissa's brain didn't do that. Okay. Why? Um, yeeting. Oh my god. <laughs> That's for my daughter who doesn't think I'm cool. <laughs> okay. Um um zinging. 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 There you go. Zinging. Well, this was a A to Z failure. Um this was A, a to Z failure. Yeah. I don't know what even some of those words were. They weren't words. I'm ninety five percent sure today. that yeah. they weren't even verbs. So we just did ING words. Might edit this to say that we did ING words. That there you go. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, well that was it. Um before we go, we are gonna be playing a promo for affirmative murder. If you haven't checked them out, um Alvin is one of the hosts. He also hosts the Dawson's Creek pod that I was on a few weeks ago, and you guys will love them. They have an incredible show make sure you check it out and we'll be playing the promo in just a sec awesome all right guys well we will be back next week same time same place new story have a great week bye hi i'm alvin and i'm frank and we host a podcast called affirmative murder it's a play on affirmative action get it no that's fine comedy subjective each week we tell two true crime stories involving people in marginalized communities that's right friend john wayne gacy schman schmange blacy at Affirmative Murder, we like to focus on the darker side of true crime. Pun intended. Catch us every Monday for some true crime with a dash of comedy. And you can find Affirmative Murder on any of your favorite podcast apps. One, two, three, true adios. crime and shit. What the hell? Come I on, man. I agree to adios. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.